Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am and we're streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are also available on the 3CR website, which is www www.3cr.org.au and all previous podcasts are available on the Freedom of Species podcast website freedomofspecies.org as well as on iTunes. Welcome to the show. We've got a full house here. I'm Nick Pendergrass filling the house. Here's first of all my co-host Adam Cardellini. Thanks for coming in once again, Adam. Thank you. And we have got two guests today. We've got Beth Allen and Bridie Kennedy. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Thanks. And before, uh, yeah, before this show, we heard from Sally with Out of the Pan. And, yeah, really great show. I really enjoyed listening to that myself then. And uh, you can check Out of the Pan out at 12 to 1 every Sunday. And there were some great points there about, um, yeah, sort of queer issues post-same-sex marriage and not leaving anyone in the queer movement behind. So definitely check that show out as well. But you're listening to Freedom of Species now, uh, talking about animal advocacy. And what we're going to be talking about today is challenging sexism within the animal advocacy movement. Uh, some of the issues there. Uh, we'll touch on some ways that we can maybe resolve them as well. But first of all, I wanted to just hand it over to Beth and Bridie to talk a bit about, just give listeners some background in terms of maybe how you came to animal act- activism and some of the activism that you've done. Uh, yeah, so the first activism I ever went to was actually a chalking event that was run by Bridie on that day. So I suppose I started out with a lot of street activism. So that's kind of includes... Uh, street outreach and chalking and then later on I got involved with some more direct action so um, I was part of a few of the events that were run by DXE Melbourne which uh, actually no longer exists as DXE um, yeah so and just to um, clarify chalking what's chalking uh, do you want to say Brady? well yeah it's basically um, using chalk to write messages um, around the city on like public property so that people can um, learn more about a cause. So we're doing animal rights chalking. Great. And you, yourself, Bridie, what sort of activism have you been involved in? Well, yeah, also I was running the chalking events, so I did that for quite a while, but more generally street outreach and then just a lot of different stuff that was available in Melbourne. Mm. But, yeah, started off with the street outreach. Great. Well, thanks for that. And we're going to move on and, yeah, talk specifically about some of the issues with sexism in the movement. So I will put a content warning right up front and mention that we will be discussing issues such as sexual assault, sexual harassment. We won't be so much going into graphic examples of that, but more talking about the issues in general and how we can address it. And I did want to mention as well for anyone who has faced any sort of violence or trauma to uh, contact your mental health professional for help. And also you can contact Lifeline on 13 
but yeah, maybe we'll start off. Uh, so just give a bit of background. Um, Beth recently gave a talk at the Community as Activism event, which we spoke about on Freedom of Species not long ago. And yeah, that one of the topics there was all about uh, transformative justice and you're dealing with issues around sexism in the animal movement and progressive movements in general. And one, one point you raised in that talk, Beth, was the idea that we're in a post-Times Up AR movement. And uh, do you want to talk a bit about, I mean, these sort of things that probably most people are familiar with, but just a little bit of a background in terms of Me Too, Times Up, these kind of movements that have sprung up. Uh, so the Me Too movement has been around for over 10 years, actually. It was started by a civil rights activist in 2006, but last year it became very popular as a hashtag, sort of got a lot of conversations going. Um, the Time's Up movement was, I think, something that started off in, uh, it started off in Hollywood, but, um, yeah, Time's Up AR, I believe that was to do with some things that were going on with some large organisations in the USA, um, particularly surrounding allegations of sexual assault and harassment, and, yeah, I think that conversation started just to acknowledge that these issues also definitely exist in the animal rights movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so definitely not just in Hollywood, but it's definitely created a discussion. And we mentioned, uh, me and Adam, on a recent episode about uh, Sam Castro raising similar issues in the environmental movement. So as you say, these issues are, yeah, sort of there was a spotlight on Hollywood, but unfortunately these issues are everywhere, including in um, supposedly progressive movements. And I think it's important because I've spoken to some people that are not involved in um, animal rights or um, any sort of real justice movements, um, just some friends at work and, and people like that. And they were quite surprised when I was saying, you know, I'm going to be doing a, there's going to be a great conversation this weekend on this, um, on this show, talking about sexism and animal rights movement. They were surprised that there, that that sort of thing exists because they think, oh, okay, animal rights people, they're going to be thoughtful. They're thinking about animals. Surely they're, they're more thoughtful about um, women and sexism and gender issues. And it's just not true. Yeah. There, there's, there's sexism and um, misogyny and patriarchy in all types of movements, especially the animal rights movement. Yeah, I think that really contributes to it as well, that a lot of people coming into the movement won't think that it'll be as much of an issue, and the people who sort of benefit from people believing that it's not an issue can really use that as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, there there is, it definitely came up during that community as activism event. And yeah, one thing I did mention, Adam would be very much on top of this. There is a lot of research that does say that, um, yeah, those who do care more about animals and are less likely to eat animals and those kind of things do tend to score lower when it comes to things like sexism, um, racism, all these kind of things. But it is still definitely a big issue. And I think in a way, it can be even a bigger issue because I guess we're fighting for animals in the animal movement and I know that was something you touched on in talk Beth the fact that often people are saying well this sort of sidelines the animals and it's all about the animals and so I, in a way that even though there are um, yes yeah, some there is sort of some level of compassion there sometimes it can be sidelines you don't talk a bit about some of these backlash you get when you raise issues of, of sexism or human oppression generally in the animal movement um, yeah I think it's worth saying that Sometimes I think people are a little bit attracted to animal rights activism for the wrong reasons um, because sometimes people, uh, it's like when they're fighting animals, they don't actually have to really face their own privilege sometimes 
I actually heard a pretty good quote recently from, I think it was from Breeze Harper, saying like, you know, going vegan is quite easy because there's alternatives for all the things that you might be eating. Like you can just switch over to soy milk or fake leather or whatever, but there's not really, so you don't have to give up anything, but there's not really any, um, you know, good alternatives for white privilege, or male privilege. So you, you do actually have to be giving up something. Um, but yeah, in terms of backlash, for sure, when we um, bring up these conversations, people will say that we're doing it very selfishly and um, that, yeah, we're taking focus away from the animals by even trying to have these conversations. And Bridie, have you had any experiences of backlash when you've spoken about these issues? Yeah, basically the people in the movement who like it the way it is because it benefits them um, get very defensive when anything like this is brought up because it really like threatens their positions of power. Mm. And can I can I give an example of um, this sort of this sort of issue uh, that made me aware of this as a as a significant issue in the movement about a year and a half ago I suppose I was I was with an an organisation a group um, doing some activism street activism and a friend of mine who'd been going along um, just stopped going um, she's a female and she she was going every every week really enjoying it and then she just stopped going I sort of asked inquired about why that might have happened what what was what changed and she told me about some pretty um, pretty disgusting really sort of behavior from the men and the males in that group who were um, who were saying sexist things and um and being sexist in a in a somewhat private capacity but it also um became aware she became aware of it and didn't feel comfortable in that environment anymore and another sort of issue with this is it forces people out of the movement you know people who would otherwise be great advocates for animals are not feeling comfortable in spaces where they should absolutely feel safe and comfortable And I think that's a big problem when people say that we're actually weakening the movement by talking about these issues. Uh, I sort of feel like we're weakening the movement by not talking about them because what happens is a lot of people are leaving the movement because, uh, yeah, they're just really struggling with these issues. Or, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that are vegans that don't want to get involved with animal activism because they see how toxic it is, they see how sexist it is, and they just don't want to go near it. So I think, you know, what we... That's probably why we ended up with this very kind of cis, white-centric movement because, yeah, the movement doesn't really feel safe for anyone that doesn't fit into that category. Mm. And I think those who, you know, those who, yeah, are sort of saying, oh, it's all about the animals, we need to make the strongest movement for animals are often actually weakening the movement because it becomes much smaller and much less diverse, I guess, in terms of who makes it up. And I think there is a a you know problem in the animal and environmental movement too is that there's sort of analysis like humans oppress other animals or the environment there's obviously some truth to that but if you purely focus on that sort of one narrative then you sort of ignore the fact there's huge huge uh, differences in the levels of privilege amongst humans as Mm. beth touched on and so i think for those who are you know white male etc like myself and kind of feel like um yeah it's sort of you have the power of that movement because oh we're not going to talk about those issues and how you might be subtly oppressive or whatever because it's actually about the animals so you're sort of all humans are a level playing field and uh, it sort of neglects all those nuances yeah another thing that would come up a fair bit was that 
people would sort of say our animals are the most oppressed so we've got to help them out first and then we can worry about everybody else Mm -hmm. and these are often the same people who don't think that sexism exists anymore but yeah that was their logic and I really don't think that that holds up. Mm -hmm. And I know you made a great point at the community as activism, Beth, that critique of the idea where animals suffer worse. I I really liked your point on that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's kind of like we've got this bar set. Okay. Animals suffer the worst, what they go through in farms and slaughterhouses. And it's almost as if people are saying, if, if what you're going through isn't that bad, then we shouldn't talk about it. And I just wonder like, why is a, a literal slaughterhouse, the bar that we've set for how we should treat humans. Like it's pretty, it's pretty low bar, obviously. Mm. Mm. And again, it's it's from those, and and I'd I'd say that this is generally true. And please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. But the AR movement tends to hold up white men as they they Definitely. they easily become the sort of symbols of the animal rights movement. Uh, which sort of belies the facts of the actual number of people in the movement who are women. You know, yeah. 70% of, of vegans, at least, are women, um, and they do a lot of the work, but these men seem to, I don't know if it's about ego, it's finding they're, they're trying to be bigger than themselves, um, they get held up, um, and and they don't, I suppose, experience the um, the forms of oppression that we would, you know, if we take an intersectional approach where women experience different forms of it, or white women experience different forms of oppression to white men who probably don't experience much um, and um, people of colour and so on and so on. So the white men who are making up the, um, who are taking these positions of power and leadership in the movement are then rejecting the idea that we should look, look at other forms of um, disadvantage or um, oppression because they don't experience it. They've got no, yeah. they've they've got no, um, no skin in the game, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think I've seen a lot of similar critiques of, uh, yeah, sometimes like feminism in the West, and sometimes I've heard, you know, well-known atheists like Richard Dawkins saying, oh, you know, they're complaining about this, but things are much worse in in this country or whatever. And it's kind of the idea of bringing everyone down to the worst possible level, similar with animals, whereas I think it should be more about bringing everyone up. Mm. So it's like, yeah, 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 of course there are different levels of oppression, different levels of sex in different countries, but any any sexism is a problem. Let's try and raise everyone up to the ideal level rather than going, well, if you're not the absolute worst possible thing, then stop complaining about it and, and move yeah. on with it as yeah. well. And I think another issue that the Me Too movement has raised is that it often is sort of intertwined with uh, power, and that's definitely the case the animal movement, as, as Adam touched on. So in workplaces in Hollywood, for example, we've got white men at the top and biggest platform that they can kind of be um, immune from it, and we also have much the same kind of thing in the animal movement in terms of you know a lot of the key philosophers, speakers, etc., uh, CEOs of organisations tend to be uh, white males, but a lot of the grassroots work is definitely done by women as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I think part of building a stronger movement is actually lifting up people that, you know, typical society tends to drag down. And, you know, if we can't even do that in social justice spaces, then how do we really expect anything to get better? Like, this, these should be the most progressive spaces, but we just sort of see the same kinds of things being recreated in these spaces that we see in, you know, general society. 
All right, we're going to take a track now and then we'll talk about maybe some of the, yeah, some of the ways we can start to overcome this, at least create a discussion about it. And we're going to go to the track now, the opener by the band Camp Cope. And they're a band, a local band here from Melbourne, and they've done a lot to challenge sexism and, and male dominance within the music scenes. I thought it was quite relevant considering we're, yeah, trying to do our best here in terms of doing the same thing in the animal rights scene. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM and we're discussing challenging sexism in the movement. Uh, Before we continue on, I just want to ask, um, can you tell us, not in too much detail obviously, but but what really, um, what was the point where you said, no, this is this is enough, I'm done with this. Because you're obviously um, in the movement. I, I know of both of you doing a lot in the movement and being there all the time at every event that you could get to, um, putting in a lot of work, and then there's something's happened. So what is, what is it that sort of you've seen or heard of that's just gone, this is enough? Uh, I think it's really an accumulation of things. And um, I, I actually think me and Bridie have been pretty patient with people in terms of like trying to uh, explain why something's not okay but just at some point you just got to say enough is enough and like these people are not actually interested in changing or listening to us or anything like that so yeah eventually um, it just sort of became too much of a problem for us and we left the organization that we were part of. Yeah I think the turning point was that a lot of these people were we believed were our friends and basically some stuff had been happening and these people like chose to defend the poor behavior of others rather than actually wanting to do something about the issues Mm. and that just sort of brought us to a point where we were like no this can't continue we're not going to do anything good from the inside trying to turn this around like there is no hope as long as these people say I think also for us we sort of became a bit concerned that we were becoming or that we had been enablers of this behavior as well Mm. simply by being present in these organizations people might have thought that things were fine within that organization when really they weren't so we felt like the most powerful thing we could do to take a stand was to leave and say we can't be part of an organisation that's so accepting of sexism. Yeah. Yeah. And is this, um, so I, I imagine from the stories you're saying or you, you're sharing, is that it's it's interpersonal sort of um, sexism, so people being sexist towards others within a, within a group or people that, um, that they know. But is, is there, have you um, experienced any sort of the more... Um, movement-based sexism sexism that we see from organizations like PETA is it is it both of those things or is it um is it one more than the other I suppose I think it's for sure both yeah I think partly what spurred this whole like us leaving and a lot of the bad behavior that came from others was this sort of movement-based sexism and events that were using that Okay, so they were they were happy to continue promoting like these these and for for example, do you want to um, give an example of some sexist sort of um, the use of female bodies in animal rights 
yeah. Mick, um, sure. to promote the the rights of animals and how that's a problematic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. So yeah, as Adam sort of touched, I guess there are two elements of like animal advocacy campaigns being sexist sort of publicly, and then there's yeah. also some groups who may or may not be doing that. May sort of on the surface, okay, we're just doing things for animals, but in there as interpersonal relationships or interactions can be uh, sexist in the nature. But in terms of the more public sexism, yeah, Peter is obviously sort of the go-to example, <laughs> and there's there's so many examples. One one that comes the first one that comes to mind for me is uh, they've got a, one of their ads against fur is fur trim unattractive and sort of shaming female bodies in that way. And there's so many examples, but that's one that sort of they draw on like the shaming shaming of women to conform to certain standards to speak out against fur rather than speaking mm. about, about against fur for animals, I guess. So, yeah. 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 And with that, yeah, obviously that's not really doing anything good for women and the way that women are perceived, but there has been research around that it's actually not effective in making people uh, want to get behind an animal rights cause either. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, there's just nothing good really comes of these type of campaigns that are sort of like, uh, you know, brutalising female bodies or sexualising female bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I guess there's the two elements as well. There's because I've always thought it's these kind of campaigns that make the animal movement kind of so separate from these you know, progressive other progressive movements. Who I I kind of feel we're naturally kind of should be in there with those other movements. Definitely. But we're, we're kind of very separate. And that, that's why it's great to have this radio show in this sort of environment of uh, 3CR. But another issue you touched on before is also um, people like women, other others facing oppression, leaving the movement, and then so they might still continue to be vegan, but they might be active in other like feminist movements, but not the animal movement. And that's probably another reason why there's this disconnect between uh, vegans and other or animal advocates and other progressive movements. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think there should um, be a lot more overlap between the animal rights movement and other movements because they are related. But, yeah, I think a lot of people in the animal rights movement refuse to acknowledge, you know, these intersections. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I I guess we we did talk about a little bit on the show of... uh, yeah, a while ago with Jess Ison about this idea of call-in versus call-out culture and how, you know, calling in is generally a better thing to do. But I also think there is a, um, yeah, there is definitely a place for calling out as well. And, yeah, I, I guess one um, one issue, which, again, you, you spoke in in your talk, Beth, was this idea of uh, taking away the platforms of abusers. And do you want to talk a bit about that as sort of one solution of, as you say, it is great to try and work with people and hopefully they will sort of come around. But when, when they don't and when they're continuing this behaviour of actually, yeah, I, I guess sort of distancing yourself from them and as a movement too. Yeah, so I think calling in should always be what you try first um and you know like me and Bridie have definitely tried that a lot of times Mm -hmm. when we get to the point of calling people out it's just because it's it's gotten too far and perhaps they are just hurting more people and when somebody has a platform it becomes easier for them to I guess potentially abuse more people so uh yeah that's the reason why it's important to dismantle these platforms because their behavior is never actually going to change while they're in some sort of position of power and while they're surrounded by people that continue to validate them. Mm. Yeah, we're never going to see any change from these people. And, yeah, it it's bad that it has to get to the point of doing big call-outs, but I think this is where it might be useful if we had a little bit more support, particularly from cis men, before it gets up to this point, like when we are doing the calling in, if they will actually back us up and say, yes, this isn't, yeah, I agree that this isn't okay. 
Um, but yeah, we didn't see a lot of that happening, particularly in the organization that we were part of, but I think it's pretty universal across a lot of organizations. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned the, you kind of touched on this a bit, but you want to talk a bit about, yeah, when you have spoken out and tried to call people in the sort of backlash and, and reaction and lack of support you've got from the movement? Um, yeah, I think, unfortunately, the reason why we don't get a lot of support is I think that people might actually agree with what this person is saying. So mm. that's why they might not back us up. Mm. Um, so, and, and it's really, it's, it's interesting, um, this sort of, this space where people are, you know, they they might even agree with you and say, oh, you know, I know that their behavior is not great. And it gets back to that point you were making earlier. Their behavior is not great, but I want to keep it for the animals. You yeah. Know? Or they might say this person does so much for the animals. And I think that that's super problematic because people can just really behind, they can, sorry, they can hide behind uh, their animal activism as a way to abuse people and it's um yeah it's like but don't they do doesn't the good outweigh the bad and yeah I think that that becomes a really big problem yeah and people are talking about doing the most good as well so then people who are giving a lot of their time to animal rights and these often be people who are like receiving like donations on patreon they'll be held up as doing the most good where while what they're doing is basically just getting support and being given a platform to treat people however they want. Mm. Yeah, and you, you touched on, the, I guess, this idea of, you know, in, in some cases, like more extreme cases, definitely a case of, yeah, trying to take away their platform, not give them a platform in the movement because we should be a movement opposed to sexism. But also another point you raised was this idea of, like, I guess that is part of the solution, but we also need to look at the broader culture within the movement, not just sort of these individuals. You want to talk about some of this more systemic culture that we need to address, I guess, within the movement, but I think the movement is also sort of a reflection of broader society as well and sexism within society. Yeah, so I think in terms of um, recognising particular individuals that are uh, particularly problematic or maybe, like, excluding them, maybe outing them, but they would never have been able to get to that point if it wasn't for a whole lot of support from people. Uh, so I think the people that support them also need to kind of look at perhaps the role that they played in that. And I guess we see a lot of resistance from people um, just wanting to not take any responsibility for that at all. And I don't like say that like me and Bridie are not exempt from this either. I think that we sort of had a role to play. I mentioned earlier that we w- got concerned that we were perhaps enabling some of this behaviour as well. So, mm. yeah, and we just need to look at that whole culture that allows for this to, um, you know, these type of people to uh, get to this point. Mm. And that, that excusing behaviour that you were talking about and that does allow these people to get to positions of power is really, really sort of strange. When you put it within a different context it just wouldn't be allowed to happen. So you say there's a really good teacher and they're sexist or they're um, inappropriate towards students, they would not be able to, even though they put in you know, 80 hours a week and they get great grades for, for, for their students, they wouldn't be able to continue to do their job if they were, um, well, I mean, Royal Commission aside <laughs> into um, child sexual abuse. Uh, that obviously was being allowed for a very long time, but we need to move past that. And an animal rights movement that is progressive or should be progressive needs to see that um, allowing people to continue to to perpetrate 
problematic behavior and and um, damaging behavior is not okay yeah i think some people might say oh they're they're doing so much for the cause but that hasn't acknowledged that the potential damage that they've also done mm. for the cause which might be hard to measure and it's particularly hard to measure if people are being silenced from speaking out mm -hmm. about it then yeah perhaps we can't even quantify the damage that certain people have done mm. Yeah, and I, I guess you know we there is a hope in the long term that as a we can create a movement like a a mainstream movement I guess um, that is you know safe for women and is not sexist and is progressive and intersection all these kind of things. But I guess in the meantime, there's some some cases and sounds like there's the point you've reached where it's like in the more sort of mainstream just animal focused groups, it's like it's not a safe space, not a space you want to be in. And so, do you want to talk a bit about how um, you've uh, sort of created alternative spaces that have um, promoted different ideas to what have been promoted uh, in a lot of the more mainstream animal spaces? Well, I would say we are working on that. Mm. Um, we're kind of struggling a little bit knowing how to be part of the animal rights movements uh, at the moment, the, the movement here in Melbourne, because I do see a lot of problems in a few of the groups. Um, I suppose I would encourage people to not necessarily rely on the current groups that are around. And if you want to do animal activism, like you don't have to be putting up with anything that these groups sort of allow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like certainly for a long time, I thought that I had to put up with certain behavior and that has been completely draining. And now I've found myself needing to take a massive step away from the animal rights movement for my own mental health. And I would definitely encourage people to know who are the people in the movement who share your like beliefs and ideals and not everybody lives in such a like populated area or in an area with so many like groups so yeah I would definitely try and find those who have similar like ideals to you and talk to them and figure out what you can do that doesn't rely on being like subjected to sexism or any other kind of discrimination by other people in the movement. Yeah, and we recently, as I mentioned, Beth spoke at the event community as activism. That's the Institute for Critical Animal Studies, which I'm involved in. And yeah, Beth spoke at it and, and Adam spoke at it a bunch of times as well. And yeah, hopefully, I mean, I guess this is a bit different because we generally only kind of do maybe one or two events a year. It's more conference, even though it's kind of activism focused. But yeah, hopefully maybe that was, uh, yeah, it can be maybe a small part of that. Did you feel that was sort of better in creating that space? Was that your first time at an ICAS event, Beth? Uh, yeah, it was my yeah. first time at an ICAS event. It was really, um, yeah, it was a really good event. And I know that there were a few people in that room that were from other movements as well. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was kind of good for them to get a good impression of the animal rights movement. Um, there was something mentioned at that event. So I think another reason why it's so important to speak out is because then people that might be going through something can uh, see that there are other people that actually mm. do share their values. And somebody brought up at the ICAS event the idea of networks of solidarity. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just being able to identify people that do share your values that are, um, you know, wanting to be pro-intersectional, anti-sexist, anti-racist, all of that in terms of their animal advocacy. And perhaps we can work on forming something together. I, I feel like right now we're at uh, a little bit of a transition period where um, we haven't really started up anything new yet, but I think it's coming. Like there's, there's yeah. things in the works, mm. yeah, for sure. And, and I think in the movement, we're in a position where we are sort of seeing people 
step out of those um, those problematic spaces and say, no, we need safe spaces. We need to be intersectional. Because there is, there is this issue in the animal rights movement where people do push back against intersectionality for some strange reason, um, whatever that might be. But um, so there's a what's the there's an international organisation um, a- activist movement or group that is intersectional or says it's intersectional collectively uh, free collectively yeah. free yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. actually I think that's in the works here in Melbourne um, mm, there's yep. going to be a meeting coming up at some point to do yeah. a bit of planning for that so mm. yeah hopefully we'll be able to get some good actions going with that. Yeah, and and yeah, obviously we're we're focused on sexism today, but I think there's a big problem with acknowledging human oppression in general within the animal movement. So we had Jess Ison on the show recently, who kind of spoke about sort of retreating from the movement to a degree and more just putting her efforts into ICAS because of experiencing homophobia within their Definitely. animal movement as well. And I think also that yeah, there are these sort of niche spaces that we're creating maybe outside of the mainstream movement, but I also feel like. Yeah, again, not as quick as we'd like, but I feel like these ideas sort of are creeping into the more into the more movement as a whole as well beyond these niche spaces. So I spoke at the Animal Activist Forum last year, and that was my first time going. But a few years before, someone else went, so there wasn't much of a discussion around intersectionality. But there was actually a bunch of talks, like uh, Svetlana Colbert gave, gave a great talk, all about intersectionality at that event. So it wasn't a matter of sort of having our alternative event. It was actually in that sort of more mainstream, to a degree, animal space as well. So, yeah, I feel like... We are having progress, but obviously not not as quickly as we'd like, I guess. Yeah, it's the progress is slow, but it's not something that you would expect to be easy. I mean, you know, we're activists. We are trying to make the world a better place. We can't expect it to happen quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to I wanted to ask. Um, so something that I've sort of become aware of recently uh, through places like ICAS and um, others' talks is that people, the victims, victims of violence and particularly sexual violence are often the ones that then have to put in a lot of emotional labour to try to change the situation, try to deal with the situation, support others who are going through that. And that is um, predominantly women. Yeah. And um, so women are taking, not only experiencing this, uh, this really negative situations, and they're also then going having to go on to spend a lot of their time, their emotional time, their physical time, actually trying to figure out and change it. And I wonder how men who who are um, annoyed at this situation can also help put in some of that emotional labour um, and, and try and help build safe spaces. Um, well, yeah, for sure. I think that a lot of men really need to educate themselves a lot more before they're actually able to do that. Um, Something else that was said at the ICAS event that really kind of stuck with me was um, I think something that is probably going to change the world is the labour of women, especially women of colour. And it's a shame that it has to be like that. But I think a lot of men that are more educated on these topics that often may have come from a woman at some point or from a lot of women... um, But, yeah, in terms of men speaking to other men, uh, yeah, as much as as much as much this sucks, if someone's quite misogynistic, they're probably not really going to listen to a woman who's speaking up about these things. And, yeah, you know, it would be nice if they would just listen to us. But at some point, like, yeah, we do need men to kind of uh, speak to particularly the more problematic men rather than uh, expecting the women to do that all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely important for men to speak to other men and... Also, 
the just because a man's speaking to them doesn't mean they're going to take it very well. Like we've had friends of ours who have spoken up and have been told that they've been plagued by women such as ourselves. Mm. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. golly. <laughs> and, and yeah, obviously we've you know, had you on talk about this issue, but I think it's yeah, and it's great you've got some ideas on addressing this. But I think it's also important, as we've kind of touched on, that it's also up to me and Adam, it's up to everyone in the movement to address this issue, not those who have been personally affected by it. So it is a really important issue, mm. yeah, for everyone. I think that it is important uh, take home. And, and yeah, that sort of came up in that uh, workshop uh, Sam Castro raised at Students of Sustainability event. Another issue which we don't necessarily have to um, address, but I want to at least just mention it as well at that workshop someone pointed out that there's a lot of discussions on like men oppressing women and these kind of discussions which are really important and, and they definitely should be taking place but they identified as a non-binary person and mm. I guess for anyone who's not familiar with this language I guess you know viewing gender in this social and fluid way in terms of it's more how you feel how you are rather than a biological thing and some people those sort of social constructions of man or woman like neither of them sort of apply to them that it neither sort of feels right or, or fits with them uh, and yeah I mean I think that is an important point but I also think we you know, need to talk about male dominance over women as well. But do anyone, any of you have any thoughts on, yeah, how we can sort of move beyond this binary at the same time talking about the harm caused within this binary currently? Um, yeah, I, I realised that throughout our time talking, some of my language might have been quite binary and, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean it in that way, but I definitely think non-binary people experience a lot of sexism for sure. Uh, you know, a lot of people aren't even willing to acknowledge that they exist or, um, yeah, so I think those conversations need to come into it as well, mm. for sure. Mm. Yeah, and I guess it's just, a, a, yeah, generally you take that intersectional approach of, yeah, sexism is a big part of the puzzle and, and uh, yeah, male uh, oppression towards women uh, and there's also other things going on as well, um, mm. yeah, issues of queerphobia, racism and all that. So I guess if we if we take that intersectional pro- approach where sexism is part of it but isn't the end of discussion, it can include everyone. Uh, but, yeah, we better take a track now. So we're going to go with a song... Um, Sister by Petrol Girls and yeah this one actually Adam you, you chose this one and uh, do you want to just mention anything about the song? Yeah it's just a I just um, thought it was a really good sort of call to arms I suppose for um, solidarity among um, women and people who have experienced um, sexual violence. Yeah. Uh, so you are listening to Freedom of Species and you are on 3CR 855 AM You are listening to Freedom Species on 3CR. We just heard the song Sister by Petrol Girl and we've been discussing how uh, even though there's a lot of sisters in the movement, it's a lot of the misters who have a, the biggest platform. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot to discuss. I think that's kind of ripping off a Flight of the Concord song. But anyway, uh, we're going to finish up with some plugs for some current events. We're also going to have a little bit of an additional discussion on how all this kind of stuff we've been discussing, women's oppression, sexism, etc., actually quite direct, not just philosophically, but also quite directly relates to animals. So do you want to talk a bit about that, Beth? Yeah, so I think we should uh, acknowledge that there is a pretty strong intersection between uh, veganism and feminism in that when we look at animal agriculture, it is essentially sexual exploitation, all of it, um, you know, and it's very gendered. Like the female animals are used for their reproductive capacity to be exploited in a number of different ways. So, you know, we should think about that and just try not to uphold any of these systems of oppression. And there's there's an interesting um, sort of idea that I've came across recently from a colleague at, at university is that um, welfareism is 
so people who are welfareist they they also um might say that they're they're for animals they're fighting for animals um but that welfareism which uh, and and vegetarianism i suppose um they totally ignore gendered violence they they necessarily say you know we should stop um killing killing animals maybe get rid of slaughterhouses um but they might condone or um, might not be as strongly for getting rid of uh, dairy farms and egg factories. And in those spaces, by by saying that, by doing that, by not fighting against those same um, instances where animals are less, I mean, they are directly killed and slaughtered, but less directly so, I suppose, in some ways, um, they're ignoring that there's all of this gendered violence that's going on towards uh, female female cows female chickens and i imagine the people that are that are um committing well some of the people in in melbourne activist community who may be um perpetrating um sexual violence or or having these sexist ideas would be against that idea of um they're, they're more abolitionist therefore ending the oppression of all animals but by by committing sexism and um upholding that that status within our society they're also perpetuating this idea that it's okay to commit violence gendered violence against animals i I mean i'm not explaining that well it sits in my head i can see it in my head no i know what you mean yeah it's a good point i think yeah and for for both of you um yeah uh was it was did that play a role in you becoming vegan or animal advocates, or were these kind of issues in section something you became aware of after you got involved in veganism and animal activism? Uh, I think for me, most of it became uh, I became aware of it after I became vegan. Um, yeah, same. I think being part of the animal rights community definitely helped me to learn a lot about like sexism, um, not necessarily from being vegan. But a lot of that was from what I and other people around me were going through. Mm-hmm. And the conversation about um, sexism and, like, the use of um, female bodies it, um, in animal agriculture was often about um, trying to call out feminists for being hypocrites for not being vegan. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I think that is, you know, not calling out, but, yeah, there are those valid links to be made. But I think when we as a movement don't take a stand against sexism, we're yeah. not going to appeal to feminist activists and we don't really have a very strong case. Yeah, in yeah definitely. I think yeah. it can go either way. Like some people discover, you know, intersectionality through veganism and mm. then there's some people that might be activists for another cause and then realise that it's inconsistent for them to not be vegan. Yeah. And I think a lot of vegan activists don't really have any respect for these other movements. So, yeah, we're not going to appeal to them mm. for sure. Mm. And that was one thing I was going to ask, actually ask. Were you involved in other form of activism or other kind of, you know, cared about other kind of issues before animals or was it sort of the other way around, like other issues then animals or was it more the other way around or same time? Or I think I started off actually as a bit of a welfareist and um, then realised that that didn't make any sense at all and went vegan. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't involved with any activism before I did animal activism. I am now involved mm-hmm. in other forms, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mostly became involved with activism through animal rights, mm-hmm. but activism was something that I'd always really wanted to do. And I sort of became exposed to animal rights and like veganism and felt very compelled to do that because it did feel like something that I wasn't doing for myself and that I had to do for somebody else. Mm. And now I've sort of seen a lot of this culture in the animal rights movement is, oh, like, 
put yourself second or last and do this for the animals and animals are the most oppressed, which is really unhealthy. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess my, my theory on is that pe- some people who are, you know, reject intersectionality, they find animals first and they're like, that's so bad, everything else is not as bad. But I think there's also yeah. a level of privilege to that because even if you do find animals first and you're a woman, for example, you might may well face sexism in the animal movement or just in society mm. generally. So it's a much harder position if you, unless you, if you are experiencing this directly. It's like, how could you even possibly come to that position? I think that goes back to the, the privilege in, yeah. in the movement as well. So uh, we are going to... Uh, finish up with a few plugs though so adam you had an event you wanted to give a shout out to oh did i you did oh the rescuers at melbourne riders festival oh yes there's um there's an event on at the melbourne riders festival and i don't have the details oh i do okay so uh the event is uh well i guess the quote of the event is keep rescuing animals you may lose your mind but you will surely find your soul is sort of the quote what the event is about so four activists and champions of the voiceless pam ahern laurie levy deborah trainer and ward young discuss the emotional cost of lives spent saving animals um with osha gunsberg is the moderator i think so yeah it's uh yeah be an event and i think that is quite an interesting intersection and it's come up on the show uh, a bunch of times not once i've on but for example like shelter cares who shelter shelter workers sorry who are you know killing animals in those shelters because there's you know too many and those kind of things actually face an emotional toll so i think it's quite an interesting intersection so that is saturday the 1st of september 10 a.m at animal church which is 524 flinders uh, 524 flinders street in melbourne it's 22 dollars or 19 for concession and you can find all the details at mfw.com.au I also wanted to give a quick plug for Beth's talk, which we've been mentioning at the Community as Activism event. So we'll link to that at the show notes of freedomofspecies.org if you're listening to this after the fact. And also if you're listening to it live, you can find it in the recent posts on our Facebook and Twitter page. Look up Freedom of Species on Facebook and we are at FOS Radio on Twitter. Uh, and you can check out all of our episodes at freedomofspecies.org. There's been a couple of um, good good episode last time. Um, Emma had a couple of guests from the Animal Justice Party and also from uh, Sydney Fox Rescue discussing 1080 poison. And I think in the animal movement, sometimes we can sort of neglect wild animals. So that was sort of interesting to bring that in, uh, or vegan activism specifically. And then the episode before, me and Adam did an episode looking at some of those issues of um, conservation, animal rights, where do they... You know, come together where do they maybe collide in some aspects some connections between environmental and animal movements so you can check out all our episodes again freedomofspecies.org and on itunes um, you can also contact us with any feedback we're info at freedomofspecies.org um, but yeah i think we are just about out of time yes we are but thanks so much for coming in and joining us the whole hour um beth and bridie thanks yeah, for thank having you. us and stay tuned for Encyclopedia. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.